we are in a series entitled Hindsight, so we're going to talk about looking back so that we can move forward. And uh, with that said, again, happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers in attendance and those that may be watching online. And so uh, for Mother's Day, if you haven't gotten one yet, we want to make sure that number one, you've gotten a picture. Number two, you got a little bag when you came in. And uh, our team just did such a great job piecing together Mother's Day. And uh, so many ladies were just instrumental in putting these, ordering the bags, getting the bags put together, putting all the, the lettering on it. And here's the verse that's on the bag. If you haven't gotten one yet, or if you have one, you can follow along as I read it on your bag. Uh, Proverbs 31:25, And here's what it says. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. So here's what that means. The reason that we decided on, first of all, giving you a bag with that verse on it is she laughs at the time to come means that she understands, the woman of God understands that she has everything that she needs through Christ to handle and be prepared for anything that is coming her way, that she is fully prepared. The bag is a reminder to all of you mothers out there and a reminder to us, really, because, you know, we all had a, a mother who took care of us, and we all know what moms have. Your, like, your bags that you have, the purses that you carry around, I mean, they're like a survival kit. You know what I mean? Like, in, like every mom is always prepared for wherever she's going. In her bag, she's going to have first aid supplies. She's going to have snacks to eat, like you can rummage around in her purse and find food. She's going to have toys to play with, tissues for runny noses. She's going to have sanitizer, hand wipes, and she is going to have an extra diaper probably and crayons. I mean, it, she literally carries along with her a survival kit for all of her kids to keep, to keep your kids happy in church sometimes, to keep your kids content when they're at the ball field watching their brothers and sisters uh, play whatever sport it is. And so we wanted to give you a bag to let you know as a reminder to you that God will give you whatever you need for wherever you're going. He will fully prepare you if you will trust in him for whatever the road ahead is for you. So we wanted to do that. We wanted to give you that uh, visual reminder and to remind that, to remind you in those times when life just gets a little hard, that mom, through Christ, you got this. In Christ, he can, he can equip you to get through any storm that life may bring your way. And so we pray that it's been a little blessing to you. We pray that you'll fill that bag up with trinkets and toys or whatever you want to put in there that will help you survive whatever is to come. Okay, so happy Mother's Day again. I want to begin this message this morning with just a, a prayer first and then a time of confession. So you guys all showed up ready to confess this morning, right? <laughs> Let me pray and then we're going to talk about what I'm talking about as far as confession. God, we want to say thank you for our mothers. God, we thank you um, for our moms who you placed in our life. God, to raise us, to love us. God, they taught us so many things. They taught us um, how to maybe uh, love one another when one another doesn't seem to be unlovable. They taught us some how to taught us how to cook. Some taught us how to take care of ourselves. Some taught us how to wash our clothes. Some taught us, uh, God, uh, how to uh, participate or how to perform well in an interview, how to study, how to, how to prepare ourselves for marriage. And God, uh, our moms have done so many things. And so today, on the day that we celebrate our mothers everywhere, God, I pray that every mom here and every mom online and every mom everywhere would know that you, they are loved by you and God, um, that they are a blessing uh, 
uh, to all of those, God, who get to sit under their instruction and underneath the umbrella of their love. And so we ask that you teach us today through your word and through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so here is the confession. How many of you, by a show of hands, have ever walked into a room and forgot why you actually went into the room? Yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, we all do that. We all do that. Now, here's the thing. You left one room for a purpose. You got up. There was something that triggered a thought. You were like, hey, I've got to go to the next room or I've got to go somewhere outside. For You're going somewhere for a specific purpose and then you walk in there and somewhere along the way, from point A to point B, something happened. I don't know what happened, but something happened. Like we, another thought entered our minds. We started thinking about something else or maybe we just thought about nothing, which is really funny to me because women uh, look at guys like my wife will say, hey, what are you thinking about? Because I'll just be in one of these staring things and she'll be like, what are you thinking about? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not thinking about anything. Like, I, I guess for women, that's a foreign concept. Like, do you, can you guys shut it off? Like, no, okay, all right, that's what I thought. But my wife will go, how do you do that? Watch. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, we can just do it. But somewhere from point A to point B, you, 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 just that thought escaped you as to what you were going there for. And then you arrive, right? You arrive at your destination and you start looking around and going, why did I come in here? And then you ask other people who are in the room like they know, right? Like, why did I come in here? I have no idea. To get me a sandwich. That's what you came in here. You were going to get me a sandwich. And that's not what happens, is it? We go from point A to point B. We forget. And then we show up in this place and we forget why we're here. This happens to us again because somewhere along the way, you lost your reason. You lost your why. You lost the reason why you got up in the first place and made your way into the other room. And when this happens, we often find ourselves standing in the middle of the room or the middle of the space or the middle of the place, wherever it is, standing in the present, both confused about the past, why did I start, and unsure and concerned about the future. Where am I going and what am I doing? Let me say that again. We find ourselves standing in the present with confusion about our past. Why did I ever start this to begin with? And then concerned about the future. Where is this going? And that's, that's what we find ourselves thinking. That's where we find ourselves in the middle of. So what we are going to do today is we're going to take a look at something. And this, this look at what we're, this thing that we're going to look at um, I'm going to talk about it in a specific way, but it's applicable to every area of your life. So if you don't find yourself in this category of what I'm going to talk about today, you can, it's not a, a very big jump for you to make the leap into whatever category or arena of your life that you want to make the application to. This message works for careers, degree choice, friendships, motherhood, fatherhood, practically anything, okay? But my focus for this Mother's Day message is, and the reason that honestly I felt like this is what I wanted to do was because I know that on Mother's Day, there are gonna be a lot of men that show up, whether it's a son or whether it's a husband or whether it's a whoever, they're gonna show up because it's Mother's Day. So, hey, you know what? Mom says, hey, I want you to come to church with me on Mother's Day. You know what you do? You show up to church. So I knew I was gonna have a captive audience. So for Mother's Day, I'm gonna talk about marriage. That's an awesome Father's Day message, isn't it? Like, we're gonna talk about marriage today. Some of y'all wouldn't sign up for the marriage conference, so I said, I got them. Come Mother's Day, I got them. So here we are. And again, if you're not married, um, if you're not married, 
Real quick, if you're not married, just raise your hand. Real high, high, don't be ashamed. Let me just stick it up high in the air. All right, if you're not married. Oh, no, 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 keep him up, keep him up. If you're not married, put them up high. All right, everybody look around real quick. All right, you're welcome. There you go. This is our version of Christian Mingle, okay? We're not, trying to, we're not trying to create the date, we're just trying to create the opportunity, and there it was, okay? All right. So, if you're not married again, this, you can make the applications across whatever area of your life you want to make it. But there's a reason that I, I felt led to preach on this today, um, is, is that I believe that, that when anyone, everyone who gets married, they got married... Because they wanted to be together forever, right? Like no one says, you know, I kind of like you. Would you be interested in getting married for like two, three years? Like no one ever says that, right? We don't, we don't plan to separate in our marriages. We don't plan for our marriages to fail. The problem is, is that we just often don't plan not to. So the reason that I wanted to talk about this today is that we made this um, commitment when we got married we said words like for richer or poorer and sickness and health till death do us part but when we get then we get pronounced husband and wife and I've done a lot of weddings so you you get that moment right Exchanged the the vows you've exchanged the rings and you've exchanged the ring vows and then there's that moment where I get to go all right it's your favorite moment in the wedding. You may kiss your bride. And man, it's a big thing. And everybody, you know, some, some are like a little peck. And I'm like, I don't know if that's going to work out. I don't. And then there's others. It's like, hey, the honeymoon hasn't started yet. You guys pull back just a little. But, you know, there's this, there's this tension. And like where husbands and wives or fiancés, they say, all right, we got to practice our kiss so that we get them right. Then there's that moment after the kiss that, you know, I say, all right, you turn and face everybody, and then I'll say something like, for the first time in public, I now pronounce you Mr. and Mrs., and, you know, and then the music starts playing. And then there's, from there, they start the march out, and they begin the journey, and, and I believe that our marriage, you know, as, as they begin to turn and face the audience, and they begin their way out, see, that's the, there's something that happens, Right? There's something that happens when you, you left for a reason. Hey, we've completed the wedding. We've completed the vows. We are now husband and wife. But then one day you arrive in that place in your marriage and you're like, why did we, what was I doing? Where, where did I, why did we start this to begin with? And so that's why I wanted to talk about this. This is important. And I think God's word says that all these things are important. So today is about looking back to remember why we started why we started this journey as a husband and a wife in order to, we're gonna look back in order to move forward and, and we're gonna begin our look back by looking way back, not at your wedding date. We're gonna look way back into the word of God when the apostle Paul wrote two letters, one to the church at Colossae and one to the church at Philippi. And we're gonna look at not just about why to be married, but even more importantly, how to be married. See, the world will teach us a lot about what marriage looks like, and what we see statistically is what the world is teaching isn't working. So maybe we should go back to the originator of marriage, who, by the way, is God, who said it's not good that man should be alone, and every woman said, amen. Well, we got one. It's okay, you didn't want to say it right now, that's fine. But you, I know you said it, if you thought it, you, you, know, you might as well have done it. That's what Jesus teaches us, right? 
Like, I don't know, every mom probably fears when she leaves for a few days with the dad with the kids that, you know, it's going to be happy meals and pizza and, man, the house is going to be a disaster when you return, right? It's not good that man should be alone. (laughs) I am a firm believer that all of our marriage problems, all of our marriage problems are are me problems, okay? All of our marriage problems are me problems. The problem is in our society, in our culture, when we have marriage problems, you know what we want to do? Our marriage problems aren't me problems, it's he problems or her problems. If, if, if we could just fix, and like, listen, you will never ever, if you don't hear anything else I say today, you will never ever ever fix your marriage by trying to fix the other person. Do you know how you fix your marriage? You fix your marriage by fixing yourself. Because if you fix yourself, because that's the only one that you can control, if you fix yourself, then you have fixed and made the marriage already better just by fixing yourself. And so we're going to take a look at a few of these verses. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. We're going to begin with a verse that um, I know you've probably got it like on your coffee mug, uh, ladies, or you've, you, know, you, you had it printed on a t-shirt with your husband's face on it, right? <laughs> That's not a great Mother's Day gift, by the way, men. All right? Don't don't get a t-shirt with your face on it with this verse. But here's what it says. Wives, I just want to see if you can say the word. Wives, what's the word? Submit. And I know what you're thinking. Like, all right, I'm ready to leave. We're done. Like, what is he talking about? Like, he's talking about it's Mother's Day for crying out loud. And he's going to stand up there and talk about wives submit. We're going to talk about this and I hope what is a very healthy way and and here's the thing, when the Apostle Paul writes, and when we're, we're also going to look at another passage in Ephesians, he always starts with the wife. Why does he start with the wife? couple reasons. Number one, in the garden, it kind of started, right? Like, like God, God had this whole design for everything, and uh, it got blown up. We, we sinned, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And so then we get to the New Testament and Paul's like, I need to teach on relationships and healthy relationships. And so he's going to start with wives. And you know why he starts with wives? Help me, help me finish this. Happy wife. <laughs> Happy life, right? <laughs> if mama ain't happy, ain't what? Nobody happy, right? So Paul's going to go like men, all right, women. Let's, let's just start. Let's pick a good starting point. All right, so wives, here's why um, he addresses this, okay? He's going to address this, and he's, he's going to say, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. The reason that he begins with wives is, wives, you set the temperature in the home. You just do, right? Like, you, you're, the, you're the thermostat in the household. You get to set the temperature, and everything around it kind of adjusts around you. And so, that's why every time Paul addresses husbands and wives, he always starts with you. So, here's how he begins. Again, uh, a coffee mug verse for whatever. Uh, or maybe it's a wallpaper for your iPhone. I, I don't know, but go with it. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting the Lord. Let me tell you what this does not say. Women submit to men, okay? This is not Paul going, men are superior, women are inferior. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Contrary to what some may say, this is, again, not a passage for beating the superiority, the drum of men. Uh, This doesn't say that you as a woman are lesser of a human being or lesser of a person than a man. That means that there are... um, 
What it does say is, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, it does not mean when we say, like we think of submit and we think of all kinds of, it conjures up in our heads all kinds of imagery of what it means for a wife to submit. It does not mean that you are a slave to your husband. That is not what the Apostle Paul is saying. As a matter of fact, it's the reason that Paul puts a conditional clause on the end of it. He says, wives, submit to your husbands, which we men are great at quoting, right? Like, wives, submit to your husbands. And it's like, there's another little part there. As is fitting to the Lord. Okay? What does that mean? What does that mean? That means there are some ways that it's not fitting to the Lord. That means that there are some ways that is not pleasing to God. Wives, submit to your husbands as is pleasing to the Lord. This does not mean, because wives submit, this does not mean that you put up with abuse. This does not mean that you put up with pornography. This does not mean that you put up with ungodly styles of living and leadership from a husband. It means that you are to submit to your husband as he willingly submits himself to the authority of God. That if I live my life according to the word of God and I'm doing my very best to be a man of God, then what it is teaching is, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Then it gives uh, a command to the husbands, Colossians 3.19. Here's what it says. Husbands, all right, read these next three words for me. Love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives and do not, be harsh with them. Now, here is what I want us to do. I want us to flip over to Ephesians chapter five. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there or turn your Bibles on and turn there. Um, Paul is going to talk about marriage again here and he's gonna talk about the roles of husbands and wives. And while you're turning there, let me tell you one reason why Paul listed husbands and wives in two different letters. Colossians, when he's speaking to the church at Colossae about the roles of husbands and wives, he is, he's kind of teaching through this theme of um, you're not together just because you love each other. Uh, he, he's saying that the, so kind of this theme in Colossians is every, do everything that you do in all of your relationships, but especially even uh, as husbands and wives, as fitting unto the Lord. So live your role out as a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, uh, a child. Live your role out as is fitting to the Lord. That's the kind of theme in Colossians. Then over in Ephesians, and, and we're going to, again, look at the stated theme of Ephesians 5 here in just a second. But he's, this, is kind of the, this is kind of the topic, if you will, in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5.21, look at what it says. It says, um, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we, we hear, wives, submit to your husbands. But here, Paul is teaching that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we're going to unpack that because Paul follows up 21 with a bunch of other verses directed specifically at husbands and wives. And the, so here's the thing. When we look at submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, the, we think back to, again, why did we begin? The reason that we got married is not just because we love each other. I mean, it is that. I hope it's that. I hope that was at least a, a pretty big ingredient into why you decided to get married. But Paul is saying that the one main reason that a man and a woman are to get married is to demonstrate that to the world, Jesus is before all things. That he's before everything. He, I'm, we're gonna get married as a demonstration that the word of God is true, 
that Jesus is before all things. He's more important than physical intimacy outside of marriage. He's more important than any other framework that the world would give us about how relationships and healthy relationships are to look. He says, this is how this works. And so he says, if you want to have a good and healthy marriage, it's really easy. Just do what the Bible says. But what do we do? How many of us ever get that right, right? And that's why we need forgiveness. But if, if we're going to take seriously representing Christ to the world, he says this is all about, marriage is all about, or one, other, one of the reasons that we get married is to demonstrate to the world that Jesus is before all things. And the problems that we deal with in marriage arise out of a need to make ourselves the center, okay? So when, 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 we have, when I have marriage issues, like when we have marriage problems, when we have little disagreements or heated fellowship or whatever you wanna call it, it's usually because Billy Stevens tries to make himself the center of the relationship. That I want what I want. You, you know that we're really good at figuring out what we want and then trying to make everybody fit into our little scheme. Usually when there are marriage problems, it's because me or my wife, one of us tries to put ourselves at the center of the marriage rather than Jesus being at the center. Now, some of you might be on the verge of checking out, admittedly, that's fine, because uh, admittedly, that strikes against everything in our American mindset. We've been taught that we got married because he or she, oh, he completes me. No, he does not. Like, you've watched way too much Jerry Maguire. The only person on the planet, the only being in the universe that can complete you is not your spouse's name. His name is Jesus. And we were all created, you've heard this before, we were all created with a God-sized hole in our heart that there's only one thing that will ever fill it. A person's not gonna fill it. Stuff is not gonna fill it. You will, you will pursue people and relationships and you will pursue, stu pursue stuff in the world and you will still feel as empty as you have ever felt in your life. It may please for a season, but you ultimately reach that point again. The only person that was made or is able, and he wasn't made, the only person that's able to complete you is, is Jesus. So what comes next is Paul's going to lay out for us the roles of husbands and wives and how your marriage can be everything that you ever dreamed it would be. You know, like when you're dating and then even you get engaged and you're leading up to the wedding, you have all these pictures, every one of us do. We have all these images in our head of what marriage is gonna be like. And when we walk to the altar, we walk to the altar with a suitcase. And it's not just because you got kicked out of mom and dad's house now that you get married. You came to the altar with a suitcase full of expectations. This is what I think marriage should be. And all of those expectations in your suitcase were filled by what? They were filled by experiences, the things that you saw from your mom and dad, how they lived out their relationship, the things that you've learned from maybe society, culture, your, your best friends, and how they got, you know, what their relationship like is as husband and wife. So we come to the altar with all of these expectations, and we never talk about the expectations. Now, if you go through premarital counseling with me, we're gonna talk about expectations because I think that's what you should do. Hey, let's put all of our junk out on the table and then let each other look at it and go, I'm cool with that. The problem is, is we come to the altar most of the time. We've never talked about expectations, but they're in this bag. And then when we open up the suitcase, we open up the suitcase after we say, I do. We started on the journey and then all of a sudden issues begin because you expected something of him and he expected something of you that just didn't quite mesh up. Your image of marriage and his image of marriage, they didn't align. And so when there's no alignment, stuff wears out, right? 
So the, in these next few Bible verses, Paul is going to teach some things to wives, and then he's going to teach some things to husbands. And when the Bible talks about marriage, it talks marriage in, about marriage in covenantal language. We just came off of covenants back before Easter. And it talks about marriage and husbands and wives in covenantal language. We stood before a pastor. When we stood before the pastor and we got married and we said our vows and we said the I do's and we exchanged the rings and we did all the stuff, what we were doing is we were reciting covenantal vows. In other words, we were saying to God and to one another that regardless, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situations, regardless of how you act, regardless of whether, regardless of whether or not you, I finally see your wardrobe and you've got like a still a new kids on the block t-shirt, like in spite of all that, no matter how bad or crazy it gets, that I am in this no matter what. That's what covenantal vows mean. Why? Why are marriage vows and marriages covenant relationships? Because that's what and why are we supposed to be willing to sacrifice and be in it for richer, poor, sickness, and health and all those things? Why? Because that's what God did for us. He loved us while we were still sinners and sent his son to die for us. He did that not because we were awesome. He did, he did that not because we were lovable. He did that because he covenanted to do so. God said, I am going to do this and this is just my plan and I'm gonna do it no matter how sinful they are, no matter what they think that they can do to disqualify themselves from my love, I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna do it not because they're awesome but because I love them and I'm covenanting to do that. Well, we all got married with covenant thinking. After covenant thinking, we gravitate to something else. So we get married for, you know, we stand again, for rich or poor, sickness and health, so death do us part, we covenant. Then after we say I do, kiss the bride, da-da-da-da, out the door, we forget why we started, we forget the covenant side of things, and, and the relationship moves from covenant to contract. Let me explain to you what that means. Contracts are if-thens. If you, then I. If you do for me, then I'll do for you. If you don't do for me, then I'm not going to do for you. That is a contract. Let me tell you why this breaks down. When was the last time that you ever got a, a love, handwritten love letter from your loan officer? Anybody? Like no one, right? The only time they pay attention to you in a contract agreement is when you don't fulfill your part, right? Like they never send you a love note and go, I love, I love that you put your loan number on your check when you send it to me. I just love that your payments are always like a week ahead. I love that you never have to incur late payments. I love, like they never say that. They never go like, hey, we put a picture of you up in our bank because you were the greatest person that we've ever sent a loan to. Like they don't do that. The only time you hear from them is when, guess what? You don't make your payment on time. Then they send you a little letter and it's not a love letter. So back to Ephesians and Paul. And again, Paul is going to start with wives again because one more time, happy wife. Yeah, I'm losing you, okay. All right, one more time, happy wife. There you go, all right. Can we agree that the best thing that we can do here today is, is only to apply the verses that pertain to us? So in other words, when I'm covering wives, men don't sit there and do this, right? Like, did you hear what he just said? 
Like, you should write that down. I didn't see you taking notes right now, babe. Like, you need to, hey, would you underline those and highlight it? Like, circle it. Whatever you gotta do, let's just, like, no, no, no. So, so husbands, for just a second, if you really want to, I hope you don't, but if you want to, you're okay to jump on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter right now, whatever you wanna jump on, check the scores. I just wanna talk to the wives for just a second. And then we're gonna come back around to you, so don't go to sleep, because we don't wanna have to wake you up, but we're gonna come back to you, okay? So wives, tune in. Let me give you a few verses from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse four. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. So there are two categories of wives here, okay? There's not like a third option. It's not like see none of the above. You can't bubble that one in. There's just like two. There's two categories. You can be his crown You can be his crown or you can be his cancer. You can be the crown of your husband or you can be his cancer. You can be the thing that just eats away at him nonstop and kills him on the inside. And in a moment, Paul is going to use the word submit again. We'll see this in just a second. In the Old Testament, there's an antonym for submit, okay? And the word is nag. And there are several verses that warn us about what it's like to be with a nagging wife, okay? This doesn't pertain to any of you. I'm just saying. I just want to read some verses here, okay? Again, men, just don't make eye contact while I'm reading through these, all right? Just, like, stay in your zone. <clears throat> Proverbs 19:13. he says, A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling or nagging is a continual dripping of rain. And you're thinking right now, you might be a farmer and you're going, well, we'd like some dripping of rain. That sounds like a good thing. What's so bad about that? Until you begin to remember that the Chinese and other militaries fashion this thing that they would actually drip water on the foreheads of people as a form of torture to get information out of them. You know what I mean? Like you're not getting what I mean. (laughs) Drip, 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 drip. And so he says that a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping. Let me read you another verse, Proverbs 25, 24. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. Do not, amen that, okay? Like just (laughs) let it ride. (laughs) Let me define what it means to nag real quick, all right? To nag, this is Webster, don't get mad at Billy Stevens, this is all Webster. Uh, To annoy or irritate with persistent fault finding or continuous urging. Proverbs 21, 19 says this, it is better to live in a desert, uh, it's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome or nagging and fretful woman. Now, if you think for just a second, you're like, I don't know, I kind of like the desert. Like, I go to Arizona quite a bit. I have family that lives out there. I love the desert. I can picture John Wayne riding through the mountains, you know, and through the cactus and all the tumbleweed. Like, it, it doesn't bother me. But then when we think back to biblically, when he says this, I mean, think about it. This is written in the Old Testament, right? And so they would have an understanding of what desert means. And desert isn't necessarily painted in a good light when we think about the Old Testament and particularly for the people of Israel. I mean, think about this. The, Israel was lost in the desert for 40 years. And um, it's, it's also where Jesus came face to face with the devil, right? So here's, this is kind of piecing it together. 
So if, if you've got the option of living in the desert, dying of dehydration, and having the vultures eat your flesh, or, or marrying a nagging woman, you're better off being eaten by vultures. That's kind of what it's saying, right? <laughs> Chapter 5, verse 22. We'll, we'll get wrapping up here, I promise, okay? Verse 22 of Ephesians chapter five. And here is what 22 through 24 says. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, by the way, they're not walking out because they're mad at what we're preaching. They're just, it's the band. They're getting ready, all right? Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in, what's that word? Everything. You would, like there's sometimes don't you just read the Bible and go, man, I wish you wouldn't have put that in there. And everything to their husbands. Ladies, here's what submission is. So we need to have a biblical understanding of submission. The Greek word for submission can be translated, bring him a sandwich and a Coke whenever he wants it. Just kidding, just kidding. Submission means this. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to your husband to lead. It's an invitation. I'm willing to submit so that I'm willingly, I'm willingly allowing my husband to lead. He was, did you know this? And I, ladies, I know that like there's been books written, you know, uh, what is it? Women are from Mars or men are from, vice versa, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. There's all these different books that have been written about the, the breakdown of communication between men and women. Why? Because we think differently. We, we see life differently. We psychologically are wired differently. He was created to lead, and let me tell you where he is going to lead. He is going to lead in the space and in the place where he is given permission to lead, okay? And when you nag him, what you are essentially telling him is that he's not competent to lead. Submission simply means to yield to one's admonition or advice. That's the biblical definition of submit. It is a military term. That means you are willingly placing yourself under the authority of someone else in order to carry out a mission. It means that you are inviting anybody above you from a military standpoint. When you place yourself in the military, you've invited everybody above you to lead you. Does that picture connect? If you ever wonder why some men pour their life into their work, it's because at their work, they are given permission to lead. As a matter of fact, they are paid handsomely for it. They, some, there are people at their job, they get their name put on a plaque, hey, employee of the month, boss of the month, leader of the month, and they love their work. Why? Because there they have been given permission to lead. And here's why this matters. See, companies pay him good money because they believe he's a leader, and the reason that all this matters is that every man has a question deep down in his heart that we are all trying to figure out consistently, okay? Your husband may never tell you this, but I'm gonna tell you this now because every man, we're wired the same. And here's the question that we're trying to answer throughout the entirety of our life. It starts when we're boys. Am I good enough? Are we good enough? Am I strong enough? Am I competent enough? Am I capable? Am I just good enough? From the time we were boys, we were in search of the answer to this question and we are constantly trying to prove ourselves to ourselves and to others. So God put you in our life to be a mouthpiece 
for God to remind us that in Christ, husband, you got everything that you need in order to be successful in whatever it is. This is why when you came into his life with your pretty hair and your good smells, he did everything that he could, right, to woo you. He tried to do everything that he could in order to get your attention. Like, I, I got to do something right here. I got to make a splash, which often does not turn out well, right? I got to do everything I can right now to get her attention. And I just got to know, do I have what it takes to attract her? He cares more about what you think of him, wives, than anybody else on the planet, I promise you. Listen, um, I, you guys are also complimentary to, you know, our staff and to what we do. And we went, so when we were in Haiti last week, we had some team time where we'd sit around a table and we had to share uh, with each other, uh, all 11 of us, we had to sit around a table and we had to take turns sharing, hey, this is what I love about you. This is what I love about you. With and, and listen, as much, like, I'm, I'm not a, I, I like, public compliments, just to, for the record, public compliments make me uneasy, like it. Like, like, I want to crawl under the table when people are doing that. But I do want to say this. As much as those compliments, when you hear them, they feel good. Like, there's nobody's compliment. None of, none of you, and I love you all, but none of you could ever say anything to me that would matter more to me than what my wife says to me. Like, if my wife says, hey, you knocked it out of the park today. Like, man, I'm good, right? Like, I'm, I'm walking on air. And, and your husband, that's where he's at too. Okay, that's... That's why Paul says this. Why submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, as, as is fitting, as is pleasing to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. And I, I just, you were designed to be a helpmate, but in Genesis, there's this glimpse with Adam and Eve. And, and God says after the fall, he says that your, your desire will be for your husband. And you go, oh, well, that's a good thing. Like we should have a desire for our husband, but that's not what the Hebrew word means. The Hebrew word means a desire for his position. It means you're gonna have a desire for his position. And, and so it becomes this constant fighting of the flesh to go, hey, let me, right? Let me, let me peel back. Let me, let me be that source of, that mouthpiece of God to my husband that I might be an encourager to him. And by the way, there are gonna be times that you think that you're helping him out, because it, but it's gonna feel to him sometimes because of your desire for his position. It's the spiritual battle that takes place. You're gonna think you're helping, but you're actually, you're actually, it feels like a hostile takeover to your husband. Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever, your husband, you, you know, you're, you're with, friends or whatever, and you're sitting around a table or you're standing outside and you're hanging out and he's telling a story about something that happened on Thanksgiving and then you feel the need to correct him. Like, what Thanksgiving? It's 4th of July. What are you talking about, right? And, and, and again, it's a minor detail, but do you know what that does in the heart of the man? Like, and you guys have no idea because to you, it's like, you should just build a bridge and get over it, man. That's like little petty stuff. But do you know what that does in the heart of a man? So you think you're helping him, and again, it feels like a hostile takeover, and it begins to confirm in his heart and in his head that he doesn't have what it takes. So what it means to submit essentially, wives, is making your husband feel like the man, right? Like, you, like I don't need to make him feel that way. He walks around like that all the time. You, you, that's, a, that's just a show. It's, it's just a show. 
I know that sounds shallow and needy, but do you know what the number one psychological need of a man is? Respect. The number one psychological need of a man is respect. Like you want to see a man lose his temper real quick, disrespect him in front of people. I mean, it will be the 4th of July in a hurry, right? And I believe that it is, and the reason for that is, is because God wired us that way. And so then he says, all right, wives, submit to your husbands. Why? It's not a, you're a lesser. It's just, hey, submit to your husband. I need you to be the source of encouragement, the source of strength to your husband. And then submitting to his headship, that is what you ultimately do for him. So wives, question. Like he needs a cheerleader in his life. Do you mostly cheer or do you mostly correct? He needs to know that you think he's the man and that you are on his team. All right, husbands, turn back in. The wives are like, man, you beat us for a while. Like, this, yeah, an hour for the men, all right? Here we go. Uh, Ephesians 5.25, look at what it says. Husbands, what's the next three words? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You would think that it, based on the previous verses, you would think, all right, wives submit to your husbands, husbands lead. You would think that's what it would say. That's not what he says. He says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, I have a good idea. How about this week, we spend time looking and peeling through the word of God to find all the ways that Christ loved the church. Sounds like a great idea. And I know what you're thinking, like, dude, shut up. She's listening, right? How has he loved the church? Number one, he pursues us, right? He pursued us. We, like, we didn't go chasing after God. God pursued us. He takes responsibility for everything, even things that are not his fault. He takes responsibility for our sin. He could have shown up, on, he could have shown up at the cross and said, you know what, that's not my fault. I'm right, they're wrong, I'm not doing that, but that's not what he did. Instead, instead of showing up and saying, nope, not doing that, he chose to be savior. Being a husband is saying that I am willing to love you and I'm going to love you like Christ loved the church and I am going to take responsible for everything that happens and, and um, that takes place in our home regardless of whose fault it is. He gave himself up for us. He gave himself up for the church. Husbands, how sacrificial are you? Where are you sacrificing in order to meet the needs of your wife and in order to meet the needs of your family? Where is that at? If you're not sure if you're sacrificing or not, one, I heard a guy say one time, he says, it's not a sacrifice until it feels like a sacrifice. Like until you can feel the weight of it. Like if your wife comes to you and says, hey, hon, <laughs> You want to go to the monster truck thing? That's not a sacrifice. Hey, hun, you want to go fishing? That's not a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice until it feels like a sacrifice. Jesus went to the cross. And then there's these questions that come into play. Okay, well, if I'm supposed to just love my, Christ like, uh, love my wife like Christ loved the church, what does that mean? Like, what if she, what if she's, um, what if she takes advantage of me? We did that to Jesus. Well, what if, what if she mistreats me? We did that to Jesus too. But pastor, that's easy for you to say, you're not married to my wife. 
That's what I've heard people say. You're not married to my wife. You have no idea what my house is like. People might say, you know, well, your wife, she loves Jesus, and your wife, she likes singing Christian music songs and worship songs. I think my wife might actually be possessed. (laughs) I mean, she spits daggers from her eyes, and she spews lava out of her mouth, right? It may be true. Hope not. But either way, how did Jesus love the church? Unconditionally. Unconditionally. By the way, Jesus did not pursue us in our salvation, just in our salvation. He also pursues us in our sanctification. In other words, he never stops pursuing us. Husbands, do you know what we're all guilty of? When it comes to our wives, we pursued her, right? Like we, we chased her down, man. We studied her. I mean, it would be kind of stalking, but we won't call it that. But we studied our wives. We studied the things she likes, the movies she likes. We figured out everything that we needed to do in order to get her to say, I do. And then after she says, I do, we quit pursuing our wife. Like we did all these amazing things to get her to say, I do. And then we stopped doing them. And then we wonder why our marriages just aren't what we thought they would be. It's interesting. We quit quit pursuing, then then we complain that she's not the woman that we married. Maybe it's because we're no longer the husband she married, you know? Do you know what the greatest psychological need for women is, men? It's security. The deepest psychological need for women is security. She needs to know that that you have eyes only for her and that you are all in on life with her so that she knows that her future is secure and she never has to worry about what might be coming down the road. How do you think this plays out in her heart when you stop pursuing her? Is there something wrong with me? Is there another person? Is Is he beginning to think, Differently about how he feels about me. Now listen, don't, don't begin to, we, we don't need to be guilty of treating our, our wives like, like you might treat the woods. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you go out into the woods and you study the behaviors and the track of deer. You, you woo it by trying to plant corn out there so that it'll return to the same spot next to your tree stand. You wait patiently for it. You get up early in the morning to go into the woods to do it. And then finally one day you, and what do you do? What do you do? You mount it on your wall and never pay attention to it again. Let's not be guilty of treating our wives like we treat deer. Now, every time you walk into your house, if you have deer, that's your reminder. Don't treat my wife that way. Continue, continue, continue pursuing. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. Verses 26 and 27. I promise I'm getting close. I think I am anyway. All right. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. Husbands, have Bible conversations with your wife. Have Bible conversations with your wife. Like middle of the week. All right, middle of the week. She'll forget by then, by the way. By the middle of the week, right? Just 
pull up a Bible verse and go like, babe, do you think God right here is teaching us? And you can just, whatever the verse is, just, just read it. You think God's teaching that I'm supposed to? And man, like watch her eyes light up. She'd be like, oh my goodness, God is changing his life. <laughs> Grab her by the hands and say, babe, how can I pray for you? And she's gonna tell you, hey, here's some things that I need you to pray about. Then all you gotta do, it's not real hard, right? Like a parrot could do it. She told you, God, you say the stuff she said and then just say amen. She'll think you're the hottest thing on the planet. <laughs> Verses 28 through 30. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, which is kind of weird, right? It's kind of odd. We'll get to that in a second. Um, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Now remember now, this is written to husbands, okay? I wanna clarify that. This is written to husbands, not wives, because every man knows that no woman is ever satisfied with her body, right? Like you will pick out the most crazy blemishes. Like I don't like my nose. Well, I mean, this isn't Mr. Potato Head. We don't just get to... She will always find something about herself she doesn't like, and she will say it to you. And, you, and your job is to go, babe, it's the most beautiful nose I've ever seen, right? <laughs> you ever notice, though, that men, we don't have that problem? When you married us, you married Captain America. 20 years later, we're Captain Caveman, for crying out loud. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a guy, a guy, like, you'll be like, I don't even recognize you anymore. Like, I don't even, like, you have changed so much. And it doesn't matter to a guy. Like, we can get out of, like, look, you, a guy, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know. Like, guys will get out of the shower, catch a glimpse of themselves in the mirror and go, yep, still got it, right? <laughs> Here's what he's getting at. Before you were married, you were an expert on you. So he's talking about loving your own body. Before you got married, you were an expert on you. When you were single, if you're riding down the road and you're hungry, you pick which restaurant you want to go to. You know you're hungry and you pick which restaurant you want to go to. You might even on occasion be riding down the road and going, you know what? I would love a strawberry blizzard about right now, Cliff. We know, like, when, you're, when you were single, you knew you. You knew if you were thirsty, like, I'm thirsty. Nobody had to tell you you were thirsty. You were just thirsty. You knew your own body. So what Paul's saying is men... You need to study your wife so intently that you know her needs without her having to tell you. And I know, I know, I know that's hard. But before you dismiss it, before you dismiss it, you might say, well, she's complicated. You just don't understand. No, 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 no. She may be complicated, but so is the stock market. You study that. You... Uh, we have all the answers for how the government could fix our world. We've studied that. We, um, we can go to YouTube and we can become mechanics, economists. We can become electricians, carpenters, and we become nuclear physicists because we'll go to YouTube and we'll study it so that we understand it. You can study your wife. Some of us sit around on Sundays after college football and we can draw up every play that the coach should have run and would have made the team more successful, right? Like we sit around and do that. Like guys, we study it. We understand football and the reason, again, we studied it. You have taken the time to learn. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm gonna like start meddling here for just a second. You have taken the time to study the patterns of deer. Know when they do what. 
You've taken the time to learn how to little white ball straight some of the time, right? To make it go where you want it to go. You've studied it. You've taken coaching lessons. Like, hey, you know what? I, I, I want to go to the, I want to go to the shop. I want to go to the pro, the tour pro. I want to go over there and I want him to teach me how to get this slice out of my driver. But when the marriage conference comes along, ah, I got this. Do you? Do you? How's that working out for you? Right? Like we study all of these things, but we won't study our wives to know how we can meet the need of our wife. And he says in five, of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, any such thing might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, and he goes into this thing about a man leaving his father and mother. We're not gonna get into that. Men, study your wife and love your wife so that she thinks that she is cherished, that she is loved, and that she is more important than any of those little other hobbies and things that you study so hard. So, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> it's important. I, I just believe that um, what, we, what we see in the world today is the disintegration of the family system. And I know marriage is hard. Like you take two selfish people, put them together, it never works out well. But we've been given the word of God to teach us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And I think as husbands and wives, like marriage is a whole lot harder, I think, than we make it out to be. Like all these people are writing books on how to make your marriage right. Just, God's already wrote one. Just read it, do what it says. It works out pretty well, okay? It doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect all the time. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. By no means am I perfect. Just ask my wife, but I want to be, I want to be the kind of husband that honors God and that makes my wife feel like she's the most important person on the planet. 